You know, I look back over the last year, well, two years plus, and one of the big challenges for people is, of course, the cost of food. That's something you don't get to skip. I mean, as you know, on this show, I always emphasize food, shelter, and energy. Uh, Other things we can leave aside, but food has been a really difficult uh, challenge, and the price rises there for over half of Canadians, and I still don't think we really get what it's like if you are trying to make ends meet. Man, it makes a difference when you do that. But I look back, as I say, over this last while, and it seems that the depth of our understanding of the actual food, grocery industries doesn't go much beyond, oh, I don't like higher prices. Well, I get it. Most Canadians don't seem to understand what it's like on the farm or don't understand the manufacturing side of food, don't understand the grocery business itself. Well, someone who's done the most work, I think, in the country on trying to rectify that is Sylvain Charlebois. He's the director of the Dalhousie Food Analytics Lab, and he joins me now. Sylvain, you know I appreciate super busy week for you because, of course, of the big report coming out, the food price report, but I appreciate you finding time for us. Oh, my pleasure. I've been on your show many times. I absolutely enjoy the work that you guys are doing. Well, I appreciate that. Now, I just want to say, speaking of work, uh, why the food price report is so important is that you go across the country and it's a collaboration of uh, what, 30 scholars. You got your own staff. You go out from the West Coast to the East Coast. And that's the report, if you know what I mean. So you get a phenomenal perspective and the expertise. And I guess also the fact that you've got a lot of stuff right. I mean, this time last year, you were telling us, hey, don't worry. By the end of the year, you're going to beat that five, five, six, seven percent range, but going to be worse in the meantime. Well, you were uh, the report was right on all of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so out of 13 years, we've been we've been correct 11. So we've been wrong. We've been wrong, but we're mostly right. And we're one of the few groups in Canada that will go back in time to assess themselves. And that's what we do. The first chapter of every uh, report, we actually assess how we did. And so this year, um, uh, we were satisfied with our forecast, but obviously at 56 it's certainly not a rate that everyone wants. Uh, I think mm-hmm. we all agree on that. We want food inflation to be within that sweet spot of 1.5 to 2.5%. And so we're still far away from that. Yeah, and just to remind people that, again, and people get confused on this, that the rate of inflation measures the rate of growth, increase in prices. It's not the cost itself. That's and right. So you can get five years of, or five months, rather, of 0% growth in prices. It's still a hardship for Canadians meeting that first jump. And that's what we're still going to be dealing with. I mean, but, you know, I love this line. You did an open letter really discussing the challenges in informing people about the grocery market. And I just loved one of the lines. And I think it comes from, you know, you start politicizing something. uh, The first thing to go seems to be accuracy and truth, et cetera. But I love the line you said, your hope for this coming year in 224 was we'd stop being so embarrassing and ridiculous when we discuss food prices. Maybe elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, it's, uh, I got to tell you, Mike, uh, writing that op-ed felt, good uh, mm-hmm. after a year of uh, of of really embarrassment and, mm-hmm. and frankly uh, I really was questioning the intellect of some of our of our fellow Canadians out there wondering are they making a true effort in understanding supply chain economics here because I, I think we've missed an opportunity and starting with the politicians to invite Canadians to better understand food systems instead of Doing that, we basically decide to allow people to point fingers at 
one person or uh, a couple of companies. And it, it really was, I think, a disservice to to Canadians. Uh, food inflation is a complex issue. It was a pheno- it was a it was a global phenomena. The entire planet was impacted by food inflation, and we need to make sure that people are aware of what's actually going on here. Let's break down some of the factors, variables that uh, that go into for sort of the end grocery price. I mean, I mentioned along the way, you just said supply chain and, you know, this manufacturing, the cost structure all the way across. But maybe give us some idea of what are the factors? I mean, it's not just, hey, I don't like uh, higher prices in the end. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, first of all, in in the uh, in the report in Canada's food price report, we kind of dissect the entire supply yeah. chain. Uh, we have this dashboard we designed 14 years ago to allow people to understand what all of the factors are that actually will impact food prices in the end, starting with climate change, uh, currency, um, the food distribution landscape, the competitiveness of it, uh, policies. Yes, we have to talk about policies. Uh, I know politicians don't like to realize that sometimes some of their decisions actually will have an impact on food affordability. but those decisions actually do matter quite a bit. So we look at that. We look at geopolitics. We all know by now that geopolitics are a big issue. And of course, right now, our biggest concern is uh, is uh, the potential escalation of what's going on in the Middle East uh, in particular. And so all of these things actually will impact food affordability in Canada one way or another. But over the last couple of years, obviously, it's been it's been about inflation, not deflation or uh, stagflation, unfortunately. You know, one of the things that surprises people, uh, not that, as you just said, that we've got a food inflation problem throughout the world. Uh, I mean, anybody, for example, I, you know, I do a list of which countries already have a breakdown in their currencies where confidence has left their currencies. And we know the all-stars of that. It might be Venezuela. You know, it could be Turkey, could be South Africa. The list is a really long one. It's over 150 countries. But just the importance of uh, you know, anybody importing the currency importance is, is is right there. And it's that's an example of the type of thing that is completely ignored. I mean, in Canada, we import a lot of food, depending where you are geographically, of course, but we import a lot of food. So the price of the Canadian dollar, say, vis-a-vis the U.S. dollar is a really big factor that I rarely hear. Never heard a politician talk about it, by the way. No, no. And uh, they don't talk about taxes either at retail. Yeah. You see, 4,600 Different products are taxed at retail in grocery stores in Canada. Nobody talks about that. Now, of course, some products should be taxed. They're not good for you. I think we all agree on that. But some products are actually quite healthy. And when food inflation is at 10%, you want to look into some of these policies that are penalizing not only people who want to buy a healthy product. And we're talking 15%, sometimes 60% in, in sales tax, in addition to inflation. That's a lot. Salad, sandwiches, things like that. I, I, I did bring to Parliament this year in, before FINA, the Finance Committee, an example of a, of a um, snack bar, a very amazingly healthy snack bar made by a Canadian company led by a wonderful uh, woman CEO, Sheena Russell, who I know. She's been on my podcast. And uh, that bar is actually taxed, and which really gives uh, that company a disadvantage, unfortunately. And people don't necessarily have access to an affordable yeah. snack bar. So those are some of the things that I think we need to address in Canada. 
Well, 4,600 products, though. I don't want that to go by <laughs> too quickly here. You know, that people, well, the again... Other, the other issue, of course, is when you leave the grocery store, you don't really know uh, for which products you were taxed on. Mm. Uh, that's the other issue. So we need some clarity so people are, are aware when they actually look at their receipts. Uh, let's come back to where Canada stands. As I said, a global problem. But I was looking at the G7 numbers that you put out at, at, food, at the Food Professor, and that's where you find... Sylvain on uh, Twitter, food professor, simple, straightforward. Uh, but you put out the list of uh, on a regular basis of where's inflation at for f- groceries, uh, you know, for food. And Canada's second to least, you know, and I sort of laugh at those people who call greedflation. I says, does that mean we have the second least greedy grocery stores, uh, you know, in the Western <laughs> world? And of course, they don't look at it that way. But no, yeah, I mean, not. it's just such an absurdity, uh, the way that they've been dealing with that problem. Well, I mean, I would say this, though. I mean, uh, I, I don't think there's been any uh, profiteering going on over the last few years. I, I don't buy that. I don't see it in the data. I do, however, would acknowledge that uh, the camaraderie of five grocers, which I met in Ottawa, as yes. you know, Michael, I met with all five, along with Mr. Champagne. Uh, I would say that really... Uh, their, their situation is comfortable. Uh, margins mm-hmm. are double what they are in the U.S. Okay? So is there, do we need more competition in Canada? Absolutely, we do. But we need to focus on making Canada an attractive place to invest. That's the key here. And Michael Medline yesterday when he was testifying before Parliament, he made the point about the code of conduct. I think that's the key. It's an abstract concept. A lot of people don't understand the code of conduct, but it would actually level the playing field for suppliers, independent grocers, and the big five as well. Because right now, Walmart and Loblaws are calling the shots. They like it. They don't want to lose that power. But it needs to be addressed in order to allow other independent grocers to have a better shot and also uh, processors to stick around. Nestle left this year. Kleenex Mm. left this year. And we're going to see more, Mike, leave because it's so difficult to do well as a food manufacturer in Canada. And, and that reflects, I mean, earlier this year where, you know, we've had the Bank of Canada weigh in on pricing for groceries. We had the Competition Bureau. None of them found evidence of sort of this greedflation going on. But they did say exactly what you're doing. They pointed to a lack of competition. Interesting, again, how that's never on the agenda that uh, I have not heard politicians discuss, how do we attract the capital investment? Uh, first of all, from a broad economic perspective, you don't like countries, uh, companies leaving. We've got lots of those examples. But in the grocery space, I think simply put, these people and your, you know, you've been, as I said, your report produced by 30 experts. Hey, we need more competition and we're not even addressing that issue. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's just... Right now, when I'm when I'm listening to politicians and and different pundits, the fo- the focus is wrong. I, I think the focus needs to be on the mechanisms mm-hmm. allowing Ottawa to enable conditions to increase competition. Right now, all we're focusing on are prices at retail, and we're trying to control and suppress prices as much as possible. That's the wrong focus. And it's the same thing with the carbon tax. The carbon tax focus on retail prices is the wrong focus. And and that's why I think it's important to recognize that uh, we need more work. We need more data to better understand what competitiveness actually means in Canada. 
That would be a great conversation to have, and especially based on research. But uh, as I say, it's not one that the politicians seem keen on having uh, at this point. So, yeah, they're barking up the wrong tree. To me, that says we're going to have a difficult time making any meaningful progress here. Oh, absolutely. I think what what really concerns me, uh, Mike, is that a lot of people are saying different things without without any empirical data. Uh, mm-hmm. That's our business as a lab. Our business is to actually bring the science, bring some science to very important conversations. And we do that with data. But right now, in the last 12 months uh, about food inflation, I think a lot of things have been said that were entirely inaccurate, really, or not based on any empirical data whatsoever. It's, it was all about emotions, and it became emotional. I mean, for a while, it was really about hating people, hating mm-hmm. CEOs, hating companies. And what I wrote in my last op-ed is that I actually truly believe that most Canadians have forgotten why companies exist in the first place. And that's a scary thought. Yeah, it comes down to me, you know, like just fundamentally to that old philosophical divide. I mean, we have people who literally would like to see Ottawa have far more control over food. And I'm thinking, gosh, are they going to do that, what they did for healthcare? I mean, I'm not going to be able to get a family doctor, so I'm not going to be able to eat. And of course, we do have a lot of historical examples of that. I mean, you know, one of the more impressive things that I think took place during the pandemic is that our grocery uh, shelves were full. Like we still, obviously things changed to some degree, but we still, I mean, it was no sweat for Canadians. They may have been paying the higher prices and I am sympathetic to people who couldn't afford that or it's a very hard, it's a hardship, but at least we had something. I mean, come on, compare that to those old pictures of East Germany or the former Soviet (laughs) Union, you know, and they'd go and there'd be one choice, you know, a single single box of macaroni, you know. Yeah, no, Exactly. So it's back to. And I think people underappreciate how capitalism works because uh, it does work. Uh, it has, I mean, it has limitations. I and that's why you, the state ne- needs to play an important and proactive role. But uh, I, I just, I just believe that a lot of people just don't understand uh, the implications of some of the things they're actually suggesting yes. as they speak. You know, regulating prices. Uh, a windfall tax, all of these things that we heard in 2023, my goodness, they were very, very concerning. Well, and think about that. It's it's the opposite to what you would do if you want to attract more competition. And again, there's it's a complicated subject, and I'm oversimplifying to this degree, but if you do go to the States, I think one of the things that every one of us notices is the variety of choice, especially at that sort of, uh, for lack of a better term on my part, discount you know, uh, outlets. I mean, at the top end, you could have other things like Whole Foods, at least before Amazon purchased them, were a pretty top end joint, you know. Uh, yep. But boy, you go down there and you've got a lot of choice. And I think, as I say, it's the conclusion that the Bank of Canada ran, the Competition Bureau. It's what you guys have been talking about at the Food Analytics Lab for ages is, you know, some of this problem could be fixed very quickly if we had more competition. Well, more government intervention is not the way to attract that capital. Well, I mean, and, and that's that's why I think the code is is really the 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 proper compromise for everyone. Uh, if you look at uh, countries where there is a code of conduct, uh, food prices are actually more stable because you see in in supply chain management, the more you see players talk to each other, mm-hmm. like not, not in an illegal way, but 
when you see more vertical coordination, understanding inventories, understanding demand, demand chain management, basically, you start with the consumer and you go up the food chain to predict fluctuations, yeah. to predict shifts. Uh, as we saw in March of 2020, for example, with all the empty shelves, the more you have vertical coordination, the less likely you'll see prices fluctuate at retail. And that's exactly what's going on in Australia. That's exactly what's going on in the UK. And that's exactly what's going on in Ireland where there, there is a code. And so I think over time, Canadians would be rewarded by the implementation of code. You actually suppress the power that companies like Loblaws and Walmart have, and you give more power to suppliers, more power to the other players so they can actually have a shot at surviving because right now mm -hmm. they're just suffocating. Uh, elaborate a little bit more, like the, the, the two or three uh, major tenets of a code of conduct, if we were to uh, adopt one. So right now, if Loblaws, if you, do, if you do business with Loblaws and Loblaws calls you and say, well, we're increasing listing fees by 0.5%, you have no say. You have to just take it mm -hmm. or you leave. And that's it. Last year's pause sell between Frito-Lay and Loblaws, if you remember, that was a year and a half yeah. ago. That was a watershed moment for the industry. All of a sudden, you saw PepsiCo, the largest CPG company in our country, saying no to its number one customer. I can tell you since then, the tone has changed. All of a sudden, suppliers are saying, hmm. Maybe we can actually do something because right now, if you talk to companies like Kellogg's, General Mills, Mondelez, they don't want to invest in Canada because it's not worth it. Margins are too slim. And that's mm -hmm. why they're just running plants. Uh, and those plants look like they're in the 50s, really, or 60s. Yeah. And so you need more investment and you need more capital. You need more companies believing in the K market. And right now, because of the power that a few players have, you don't. The code would give companies a safe place to go to settle disputes, mm. to give a chance for parties to be heard. And that would make a huge difference. And it basically would actually allow suppliers to win some battles once in a while right now they're they're all losers yeah uh any do you see an appetite uh but in ottawa well, the for plan that? right now the plan right now well there isn't there is appetite but it not enough mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. right now the plan is to implement a code in in may but if this code is not mandatory and it is not so far and i've said to minister champagne in order that code to work, you need to make it mandatory. And of course, we all know that Loblaws and Walmart are against a mandatory yeah. code. They're for a voluntary code. Uh, a few weeks ago, Galen Weston said, well, if we implement a code, it's going to cost Canadians a billion dollars more. No, it's not. It's mm -hmm. not. I, I completely disagree. I have a lot of respect for Galen Weston, but I disagreed on that. Because when you look at what's going on in Australia and the UK, People are actually not necessarily saving money, but they have access to predictable pricing. And food inflation doesn't really go like this. It goes more like this. Yes. And when, when inflation is like this, it's easier to plan as a grocer. It's easier to plan as a supplier. And Canadians, consumers have more access to loss leaders, promotions, and rebates. And that's what you want.
Absolutely. Uh, yeah, there is a role for Canadian consumers to, like, I'm a big shop and compare guy, you know, going to the, we only have a few choices and I appreciate that in the grocery market, but I still, yeah. you know, shop and compare because it's, it's a tough go for people right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, let me just ask, well, sorry. And by the way, Michael, for 2024, I actually am expecting uh, there's going to be a lot of price matching going on mm-hmm. uh, and that will continue. But I actually think that during the second part of 2024, we could start seeing some price beating, which means that we could potentially, with some verticals, we could actually see some price wars going on. So, because things are tighter, you're hearing it from Walmart in the US. Commodity prices are lower. I can see 2024 to be a much friendlier uh, year for uh, grocery shoppers uh, who actually. Uh, have a few bucks to spend at the grocery store. Uh, I do believe that 2024 is going to be a much better year for most Canadians. I, I love to be finishing on that because there's a big smile on people's faces. There's there's That's light right. at the end of the tunnel, you know, Absolutely. on this one. And, and we are seeing some things, you know, I, I saw that flour and coffee prices were down. Unfortunately, sugar prices right. are up, you know, so that's on the other side. Well, I sugar's mean, the exception because of you guys. You got a yeah. labor dispute going on in Vancouver. We need to settle this, but here's here's the deal, Mike. That labor dispute is going to last months. You know why? Mm. Try to politicize a labor dispute affecting a sugar plant. Yeah, yeah. Sugar. <laughs> People think we have too much sugar. Why yes, bother, absolutely. Mike? Is that really a bad thing to see a plant yeah. shut down for a while? Windsor Salt in Ontario was shut down for eight months. Be- right. Why? Because they manufactured salt, salt. and sodium. Yeah. That'll be interesting. Absolutely. <laughs> That's the overfact. Well, look, so then I want to thank you for finding time for us. And, and, I, and I'm serious about finishing on a more positive note. But I want to encourage people to go out. I mean, this is a obviously it's a major, major story, a major issue happening here. But the, the lab just put out its report this week. Uh, the food price report, you can get it online. As I say, collaboration, 30 scholars and the staff, of course, at Food Analytics, uh, you know, led by Sylvain Charlebois. Uh, the, uh, you know, the more, inf- I'm big on this on everything, you know, big, big thing, but, you know, evidence-based, you know, the more we're aware, the better the discussion can be leading to better solutions. So that's a great starting point. Congratulations to you and your team. And thanks so much for finding time. And I wish you and your family a wonderful holiday season. To you too, Michael. Thank you for inviting me.